Hello and welcome to the Pursuit of Speed podcast. This is episode two, and uh, this is a radio version, more or less, of a YouTube channel under the same name. So if you want to see all the footage behind this one, uh, go check it out. But otherwise, this is about Andy Kingsley. It's um, a really cool tale of racing families and kind of how they develop and how they can actually change their true trajectory in someone's life. Um, and I don't mean this in the Fast and Furious family, 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 family kind of thing. It's a, a true assembly of like misfits in some ways. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. My racing family kind of falls between different groups of racing series and things too. But there's a lot of crossover, interestingly. It's kind of a, a small world after all kind of thing. But more importantly is it allows a lot of people to be able to really crawl out of a deep pit in life. And for Andy Kingsley, unfortunately, that was uh, the loss of both of his parents to cancer before he was the age of 30. You know, and I'm about this time in my own life, and uh, I wouldn't know what to do if I had already gone through the lifetime and a half of experience he did uh, going through those kind of moments. But through motorsports and through the kind of unrelenting support of the friends around him who ultimately become his own kind of family, uh, he's been able to continue racing at Pikes Peak against all odds. Uh, he's a grassroots, self-funded racer. Uh, when I met him in 2012, if I remember correct, uh, he was running a, a WX STI, and uh, it was actually his stage rally car. <laughs> so making it do double duty. And um, over time, he's gotten into a, a, a Porsche 911 GT2, and uh, he's one of the only privateer guys running one and doing so with a day job, really. So this episode will be interesting for hearing out how he was able to completely rebuild himself, not only through his own work ethic, but through a group of people around him who kind of reminded him that there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And if you are able to kind of keep your head up, stay true to yourself, uh, you'll climb the hill you want to climb, you know, no matter how tall. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely started... When I was a kid, we go to the roundy round racetracks and watch the NASCAR guys go around in circles and just the smell of race fuel burning brakes and tire rubber kind of got the itch going. And then my father and I, we would go to these uh, Colorado hill climb events. There's actually one just in my backyard here in Buena Vista that we would go sit on a rock cropping across the river here and watch the hill climb cars go up the road with some pair of binoculars. And we could hear them from across the valley. And that's when we knew that the hill climb cars were in town is when we hear them raging up the road. And it just kind of lit a fire under my belly to, to go out and, uh, try, and try to compete with these guys and see what the world was like. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's my father's 1957 Chevy Bel Air two-door hardtop. And it's uh, something that my father had built from the ground up since I was a kid. Um, he was driving around in, his, in our driveway in Florida, around the yard in a, with a milk crate and a steering column and the brakes and the frame. And he's just in the engine and the drivetrain was in it and he's just driving it around. And then we go to swap meets and pick up fenders and doors and trim and panels and exhaust pipes and wheels and axles. And I've got a whole parts bin in the other room that we're gonna put into this car because it's in its sleepy condition right now. Uh, but this was the first car I worked on when I was, I think it was 
think 11, 10, 10 years old, something like that, working on the exhaust headers with my dad. And that kind of just showed me how hard things were. And my dad was always in the shop working on this car specifically. And so this car means the world to me in the sense that it encapsulates the hard work and the commitment to one thing that's not necessary it's it's not necessarily like a living item you know it's 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 something that grows with you as a human and just to be able to have something that my dad was so passionate about and holding close to that i think was probably the most big thing about this car um even though it's i'm not the best with old chevys but i'm sure it wouldn't be too hard to learn just because it, once you immerse yourself in something like that then it, it gives its returns back to you and uh just having this piece of history and piece of family history is very important in that aspect of things. The biggest influence was Colin McRae at that time period because he had the 22B and that car just like drew all my attention to it just with those wide shoulders and fast looking little two-door Subaru that he was whipping around the roads sideways as fast as he could go. And I know he, he ran uh, other, other vehicles like the Legacy and the four-door Impreza and things like that. But the 22B in 1998 and 97 was really the year that captured me and, and, and drew me into what racing and, and sliding around corners as fast as we could could go. It was such a magnetism, really, to dirt. And that's what drew me into, into racing. Going up there with my brother and seeing like the, uh, what was it? There was like the, it was the old Bel Air. That was, it was like, I think it was an old Chevy. It was later, later than the one behind us that was ripping up there. And like the Hudson's that was going up there. And I think it was 20, 10 or 11 that really kind of captured me when we were able to go and spectate anywhere on the mountain and we'd climb a, a rock cropping over there in uh, above ragged edge and watch the cars below us while you can see all of colorado springs right below us as well and it really encapsulated the the altitude and the experience and the sounds and the ambiance and everything that Pikes Peak had and it was a, it was a neat little package to experience at a younger age. There we started in, in Time Attack 1 where it was more of a production-based vehicle with the Subaru. Started in that class and then they changed that class to Time Attack 2 um, which now is basically exhibition. And from there, after time attack, we went to open class and threw bigger wings on the car, um, 
made it faster, modified, took weight off, things of that nature. For time attack, we basically have to have stock doors, stock windows, stock, stock everything. And from there, went from open class with reducing weight on the car, carbon fiber doors, hoods, Lexan windows, bigger arrow, things of that nature. And then this last year doing unlimited and just kind of keep progressing up up the chain and always pushing for more and making the car faster while I'm learning to be faster in my age and experience and just kind of keep on keeping on with the, with the whole deal. Reflecting back on that, that rock cropping day, the day I was referencing where we hear the race cars across the river, we're sitting on that rock, my dad and I, and we started discussing, we're watching the hill climb cars. And so it brought up the idea of, of racing these things on alternate surfaces. And my dad was, was thinking, you know, we would go to um, the PPIR and watch the Indy cars and stuff and, and watch all those open wheel racers go around. And Wally was an announcer for them back then. And my father told me that, you know, if you ever really wanted to be involved in, in racing hill climb cars, to talk with Wally Dallenbach and see kind of where he was coming from and relate to them and kind of understand their start and their beginning in order to, I wouldn't I want to say replicate, but, you know, be inspired by these now legends of motorsport. He had such a massive influence on motorsport as a whole and growing older and learning what he had done and seeing his, his son, other Wally doing Grand Am, uh, Junior, Wally Junior, I should say. And then Paul, Paul was just an inspiration in the sense that he was somebody I could speak with on a personal level and be able to meet. I did meet Wally at Pikes Peak in 2014. I got to sit on the tailgate and, and talk with Wally. And that was a pretty emotional time because that is what my father and I had talked about on that rock cropping down the road here while we're watching hill climb cars go up the mountain. And it, it was just so wild to be able to connect and bring it full circle. As we've been saying, you know, with Pikes Peak, it kind of tends to do that. And we brought it back around with Wally and then Paul and I just hit it off and we just, it's great to be on a communicative level with these, with these inspiring people. I, I am my own mechanic on my race car and I, I do love to race it thoroughly but it was the support structure that my friends and family provided for me that I think kind of speaks louder. And yeah, it, it is hard to work on your car all by yourself, but having your friends to support you when things happen at random, which they will in all motorsport and being able to overcome those challenges and they, they, they watched me struggle throughout the whole year to, to achieve my goals. And they wholeheartedly support me, my, my wife and my friends, and that they come over and they'll watch me work on my car and listen to music. And when something goes awry in the shop, I kind of freak out 
and have a light mental breakdown and then they're there to support me to keep on pushing through it because they've seen where I've come from, from dirt driving in parking lots around cones to, to coming up here at Pikes Peak and racing with professional drivers from all over the world. Racing family on Pikes Peak is, is very special to me. Um, you know, after I lost my parents, then we, those are the people that were there for me in that aspect of things. They, they, they're the people I could turn to. I could give them a phone call and kind of spill my beans, I guess is a good way to put it to them. And we all were very relative in the sense of, yeah, we're, we're putting our lives out here to, to not only follow our dreams, but there's a risk factor. And we all had this relative idea of what was happening at the time. And we've all just grown into these really strong relationships where, I mean, they're, they're still uber strong where everybody was going to each other's weddings. And, you know, we, it's just like such a mutual relationship of the same feelings and thoughts and emotions that we all go through on Pikes Peak. It's, it's very, I, I can't wait. It's, it, we attract each other in that aspect. And it was always a good feeling. It gave you kind of this warm feeling that there's somebody there that's experiencing the same thing that you are experiencing up there. My mother, when she passed, it was more of an education factor on how to deal with losing somebody that's close to you and just navigating through life in general. Um, trying to learn how to communicate with people after something like that had taken place. And, you know, having people apologize for things that's not really their fault was really hard for me to digest uh, as a kid because everybody says, you're sorry, they're sorry, yeah, yeah. And, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not anybody's fault per se. And they, had, they don't really have anything to be sorry about. I understand they're sympathetic, but it's not their fault. Um, but it was hard for me to, to accept that and understand that. But then after my father had passed, that's when I got into a dark spot in my life and I didn't really want to be around anybody anymore. And... And that's, that's where I do say, you know, hitting rock bottom is a great foundation for going up because I was in my bedroom just crying one day when I was a, after my dad had passed and my dogs had passed away because they loved my dad so much. And, and so I had lost everything at that point. And from there, I had to pull myself out of a dark hole, essentially, and try to give myself some, some fire, some light to my life. And it ended up being Rallycross. I knew absolutely nobody in the SECA Rallycross community. I had ended up buying a Subaru or trading it. It was my high school dream car, uh, a little two-door blue Subaru, a 98-year 2.5 RS. And that car just kind of gave me the idea to, to learn how to rally race and slide around in dirt and ended up meeting a whole bunch of people 
at the, the Rallycross community that were super open and super friendly and they just kept drawing me back in and everybody was just excited for themselves to be there, excited for me to be there. And it gave me this whole new mental energy that it, that you can care for more people than just within your, your family circle and that people do still care about you, even if they don't know you. And that's what kind of keeps it drawing onward and onward is, is, is the people that really, the people can pull you out of dark place and put you in a position to where if you put your mind and heart to it, 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 it can make you feel better and help you grieve a little bit easier. Because it, sometimes it's, it's, it's a dark spot that you can fall into and it's hard to crawl out of that spiral and kind of come back up to the surface again and, and be a human being. Was there a moment in racing where you were able to kind of break through that surface? Yeah. Um, I would say just, and it, it is, comes back to the friendships too that we were creating in Rallycross. And we would travel the, the U.S. and go to the national events and the Western States National Championships and seeing, seeing our friends come out there with us. We go camp in our cars. We bring all of our tires in our jacks and throw them in our car. We drive across the country and then we'll go out and race for a weekend and everybody's doing the exact same thing. And that was the very beginning of, of friendships to be created. And then that rolled into like being a service crew for a rally team and understanding that format and meeting even more people through that avenue. And it just kind of slowly snowballed into what you love to do. Just don't get down on yourself for the decisions that you've made. And to, to stay strong and stay true to yourself because at the end of the day, you as an individual, that's what makes you happy is being true to what you believe is right. And it, yeah, it's, it's tough, but to have confidence in yourself and to believe what your gut says and to not give up and to not let things affect you emotionally as deeply as sometimes they do, and it still kind of happens, you know, and your emotions drive a deep thing to the choices you make. But just to have confidence in yourself and believe, believe what your gut says, because your, your gut usually, when you have a funny feeling about something, you're, you're generally on point with, with your thought processes. And, the, the battle is real out there in the, in the racing world and you gotta try to make all these moves and try to be swift because time changes so fast. But um, yeah, generally just to not give up on yourself at the end of the day because that's where all the passion comes from, it's from within. It's just wild to see how time changes things and how people develop into 
these awesome, beautiful creatures that um, are such a big part of what we still love to do. And I think the older we get, the better it's going to get. But yeah, it's just the, uh, the friends and the family and the support structure between, yeah, sponsors, friends and family, because everybody that sees it in me, they are my friend and they support it and they want to sponsor and they want to be a part of it and they want to be a part of the team and they want to be supportive. And it's not necessarily a financial support by any means. It's more of just moral support and keeping my mind in the avenue that you just need to stay focused and be continually positive because negative things will happen. There's no way to say that everything's going to go flawlessly in the grassroots motorsports world because it won't. You're going to get flat tires. You're going to break suspension. You're going to mess up your brakes. You're going to mess up your power steering system. You're going to tear up tie rods. You're going to tear up toe rods. You're going to break parts. You're going to smash holes in the bottom of your floor in your car. You just spent $20,000 on a car and you're still in debt to it and you just welded a roll cage into it and then you go hit a massive boulder in, in Olympus and puncture a hole in the, in the frame and it splits the seam welds and you just go, well, you know, I'll just uh, take a hammer to it and you have to let go of that a little bit of the, the emotional connection to, to wear and tear on vehicles. And uh, just having, you'll, you'll go through these times in life with experiences with people that you don't even really know and they may not even remember you later in life um, some of the big names that started racing a long time ago and they won race rally championships and stuff like that they inspired me and gave me they had dark times too and the the that's probably the the biggest thing is to overcome those those lulls in your life because it kind of is kind of what makes you who you are in a sense.